Amen. Thank you, ladies. Who is called to be a missionary? Who is called to be a missionary? We're talking about world missions, about God's work of evangelizing, seeing people baptized, discipled, local churches uh, convened around the world. And I remember dealing with this question myself. Am I called to be a missionary? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but we had, when I was in college down at Ohio State, a guest speaker come in. The David Young Revival Team was in there with the McCombs, I believe. And they came in and they preached a series of messages like we have in our spring revival. And he asked this question, if God called you to go, who would be willing to go? Oh, the, the children don't want to hear me. All right, fine. Let's dismiss our young friends to junior church. They started to panic when I started going. <laughs> grades one through six are now dismissed at this time to junior church. If you have a young person in grades one through six and you want to know what goes on in junior church, you are, of course, welcome to join your young friend back there. And I was called, as the rest of the church was, to, to answer the question during a, an invitation in those revival services, who would be willing to go if God called you? And I thought to myself, well, if God called me, I would be willing to go. And I didn't think he'd take me up on it, uh, that I'd go into full-time ministry, but uh, he did. And so I remember in that service, he had people come forward, and there were some children that came forward, and a, a couple of people, but there, there weren't a lot of people. And ever since that time, uh, between then and when I got some confirmation, I was wondering, am I supposed to be a pastor? Am I supposed to be a missionary? Am I supposed to be a pastor? And one week, I was absolutely sure I was going to be a pastor. And the next week, I was absolutely sure I was going to be a missionary. And it just kind of went back and forth like that until I found a time of surrender when I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do then, but I know what I'm supposed to do now. And so I did what he put in front of me. Um, a missionary, what is a missionary? Well, it's an ambassador for Christ who takes the gospel, usually across uh, cultural boundaries, to evangelize, baptize, disciple, and to start churches or to aid in that process. And so what does a calling look like? What does a calling look like? How do you know if you're called? If you are called, then what happens? What are you supposed to do after that? How do you go from sitting perhaps right where you are today here in church, how do you go from this to uh, being on the field, uh, sharing the gospel, and serving overseas. Well, today we're going to look at two different parts. Uh, we're going to tag team it. And so I'm going to give the, the biblical basis of the calling of the missionary, and then Pastor Steve is going to share what his deputation experience was like when God worked on his heart to work and to raise support in the way that many of our missionaries today end up raising support. So let's look at the calling of two missionaries in Scripture. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse number 1, the Word of God says this. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. 
So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in this time you would open your word to us, that you'd give us wisdom, give me clarity of thought and speech. In Jesus' name, amen. So the gospel was going forth from Jerusalem, and churches were just now beginning to start outside of Jerusalem, and they were evangelizing, baptizing, and discipling their own communities. Evangelizing means they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Baptizing means that people were publicly identifying with the Lord Jesus, his teaching, and his people through baptism. And then also discipleship, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you, the Lord Jesus said, helping them to become followers of Jesus Christ themselves. And there was a church in a city called Antioch. And what was different about the city of Antioch was, though it was a Jewish colony, there were a lot of Gentiles there. Remember, in the mind of early Christians, there was a big divide between Jews and Gentiles, those that could claim that they were ethnically of Abraham's line, and then you had those that were not. They are oftentimes just referred to as Greeks. Unless you happen to be Jewish by ethnicity, you would fall under the category of Gentile or of Greek. Uh, as you probably guessed, I definitely fall under the category of Greek because of Galarakis. If you didn't know, that happens to be a Greek last name. Little, little, little on the nose there, uh, the unusually large nose for me and my people, right? So they had people ministering in the church that was there. It says that there were certain prophets and teachers. By the way, these, it wasn't just every Sunday somebody jumped up or every time they met somebody jumped up and shared some different thing or some different idea. No, there were certain men that had been called and equipped by God to preach and teach the word of God. And so you have them listed here. Here, here are the pastors, the bishops, the elders, the word used interchangeably in the church in Antioch. It says Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean and Saul. So what do we know about Barnabas? Barnabas was the guy who gave the Apostle Paul a, a, a chance. You see, when the Apostle Paul, when he started out, who's called Saul here, eventually his name is changed to Paul, he started out being a persecutor of Christians. He was, for all uh, intents and purposes, a terrorist. He would see them arrested. He would see them put to death. The, the Jewish people that hated Jesus also hated Jesus' followers. Once Jesus' earthly life and ministry was over, they pursued them, they tried to arrest them, and if they could, they would try and kill them. And Saul had this amazing conversion experience where even though he was in charge of a great effort to persecute Christians, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. But after that happened, the church in Jerusalem, they were scared to death of him. They, they had perhaps heard that he had gotten saved, and they had heard that the one who used to persecute them now preached the gospel, but maybe this was a trick, and they didn't want to exactly invite him into the church meetings there in Jerusalem for fear that this was all some ploy that he was going to use to arrest them and have them put in chains. But Barnabas believed that this was a genuine thing, and he took Paul, and he spoke for him, he sponsored him, he brought him in. He is oftentimes called the son of consolation. He was an encourager. He was an exhorter. He was very generous. He was full of the Holy Ghost. He was a righteous man, is what the Bible says. This was one of the best people that they had at their church. He was trusted by the people and preachers and apostles in Jerusalem. You have other people that are mentioned here, uh, such as uh, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene. 
but for time's sake, we won't go too much into them. You do find Menaean here, who was foster brother to Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, I want you to think about somebody who grew up with all of the money and culture and connections that this world could ever possibly ask for. If you wanted to be successful in the world, you could have gotten no better start than what Menaean had, other than being Herod, being part of that, that family itself and being royalty. And yet he took all of that and set it aside to answer the call to ministry. He did not, there, there's a, a wonderful quote that says, if God calls you uh, to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. It's, it's a lesser thing to be called on this earth than it is to be called by our heavenly father, by our heavenly king to serve his kingdom. I love it, by the way, when parents encourage their children instead of discourage them to be open to full-time Christian service. I love it when they, they encourage their children to ask the question of the Lord, would you have me to be a preacher? Would you have me to be a missionary? Would you have me to go into full-time Christian service? Sometimes parents are scared that their kids will end up across the, the world somewhere and they won't get to know them and they, their grandkids like they want to. I would be more scared if I was a parent of your child ending up out of the will of God. To me, that would be a far scarier thing than them being in some far-flung place. And I, I, I can personally attest that there is no better place to be than in the will of God, regardless of your physical location. And Saul, and Saul, uh, at the very least at the end here, he was a powerful teacher and preacher, but he wasn't much to look at. But he was going to have an amazing ministry from this point on. Verse number two says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. They were already busy. I want you to know they were already busy in the church in Antioch. They were ministering, they were serving, they were preaching, teaching, and they were doing what they were doing for the Lord. They weren't using it as a stepping stone. They weren't worried about anything else. They threw themselves wholeheartedly into what they were doing right at that moment. And those are the people that God will call. There's some, some strange phenomenon that happens when people either feel called or think that one day if they do get called, all of a sudden they'll get very serious about it then. I can tell you that the people who say that they're called but aren't actively busy doing the work of God, having a devotional life, having a Christian home, having a, a place of service in their area of giftedness in their church, reaching their community with the gospel, if they're not doing those things, chances are they won't do those things later. If we can't serve God in the small things and be faithful in the small things, why would he make us ruler over many things, as Jesus told in the parable? And so the faithfulness in the small things, and I'm not saying the work in Antioch was small, but I am saying that they were faithful with what they had been given. They were faithful with what they had been given. And the Holy Ghost, in verse number two, second part, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The Holy Spirit was calling specifically two people out of this pastoral staff, out of this church, for them to go to the mission field. Now, they didn't know every place that they'd be going yet. They didn't have all of the answers or any of the, all of the ideas. But what they did know was that there was a separate work. There was something specific, something in addition, something different than what they were already doing. And they felt that the Spirit of God, and, and it's a good question, I don't know, but it says that the Holy Ghost said, because they were apostles, because uh, during this time frame, perhaps they heard something uh, verbally. But I can tell you, my call to ministry was, was not a verbal calling. It wasn't one night in my dorm at Ohio State, I heard the Spirit of God saying, 
uh, Bill, and I, and I said, here am I, Lord, right? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that. What God did, because it was the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God lives inside of me, he gave me a desire, a guiding, a leaning towards these things. In the same way, because the Spirit of God lived inside of the disciples, it was probably something very similar. But as we notice, the entire church recognized it. They were in such harmony, they were in such unity, they saw the testimony of Barnabas, they saw the testimony of Paul, and so when they were saying the Spirit of God is dealing with us about a certain work, they, they didn't just decide and say, oh, well, those guys, huh? I don't know. No, they, they had the testimony, and they were being faithful to what they had been given. There was a sense or an understanding that God had more for them, and there was a specific work that they were being called to, and they were separated unto that work. Now, in verse number three, when they had fasted and prayed, I love, by the way, that the first thing that they do after this call is that they pray, is that they fast. They get serious about getting a hold of God because they need the power of God and the leading of God to understand the specifics of what they're going to do next. It's not something that the church... Notice that they didn't say they got together and had a big executive meeting of all of their planners and strategists to come up with the, the best route that they should take. Amen. Or they didn't immediately meet uh, with their financial donors and start raising money. No, the first thing that they did after the calling of God was to prepare themselves through prayer and fasting. They disciplined themselves in the, the practice of fasting so that they might more clearly get a hold of God showing that they were desperate to know more about what this calling is. Well, the church, it says, laid their hands on them. This is the act of ordination. There was a time when they separated them out for this ministry. They placed their hands upon them, and they said, we recognize the call of God on your life, and you can go. By the way, the Holy Ghost is the one who called them. I want you to, to know that I can't call anybody to missions. Parents, you can't call your children to missions. You can't call your children into full-time service. You can't call them to do those things. You can call them to be faithful to what they've already been given, which is to be a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, to be a faithful Christian, to have their own walk with God, to serve. And there's no lesser calling, right? It's not a, to be called to be a, uh, a computer programmer, to be called to be a craftsman, to be called to to work in retail. It's not as though one is less than the other. That, that's not true. But I want you to know there's something special about the call of God, and you need to know that God calls you. Don't you need to know that God calls you? Pastor, don't you need to know that God calls you? Because there's some times that the people that you're trying to minister to, they're not particularly happy with you, especially on the mission field. When you show up on the mission field, having left your culture, left your language, left the comforts of America, by the way, I, I've had a chance to travel a number of different places. There is no place like the United States. That's not just me loving the U.S. It is true. And anybody that's traveled can recognize what we've got here, the blessing of God. To leave all of these things, leave your relationships, have your kids not know the grandparents very well, leave all the foods that you know, put yourself perhaps in harm's way and disease and danger, and you do this because you love the Lord and you want to reach these people for Christ, and when you show up and you tell them about Jesus, and they say, we don't want any. <laughs> They're not like, oh, thank you, Mr. Missionary. Thank you, Mrs. Missionary, for coming. We're so glad you're here to tell us. No, you're engaging in spiritual warfare. 
usually in places with false religion that has been planted there by the enemy himself in order to keep people blinded to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you don't know that God wants you there, if you're just going for the people, or if you're just going for your pastor, or you're just going for your parents, chances are you won't stay. That's true for any kind of ministry. We need to know that the Lord is in it. And they lay their hands on them. By the way, the authority of people being ordained lies within each local church. The authority, and that's important. I never thought it was that important, but there, there's some, some people over in India where our friends are at that try and use ordination as a way to control people. The association, the leadership, the group of churches say, you're not a real church unless your pastor is ordained by us. He can't really baptize anybody. He can't really marry anybody. He can't really bury anybody unless he's got our ordination. If he doesn't get our stamp of approval, and by the way, to get our stamp of approval, he has to give half of your church's tithe to us and make sure that he toes the party line and that he, uh, he's willing to accept this doctrine, which happens to be bad doctrine in some cases. No, that's not how that works. Do you see anybody going back to Jerusalem here, to the mother church, in order to see them ordained? We're going to see next week that they go forth and they ordain Barnabas and Paul, other men, and organize other churches in other cities, and Jerusalem wasn't even involved in it. In fact, if you want to know the truth, this church took gifts back to Jerusalem when they were having a famine, and this church was helping the great mother church of their own desire, not because they were strong-armed to do so. So the idea of denominationalism is not found anywhere inside of Scripture. It's the authority of the local church that baptizes. It's the authority of the local church that ordains. For some of you, you're like, why is that important? Trust me, it really creates some problems otherwise. And so the church, it says, in verse number three, sent them away. This is reminiscent of John chapter 20 of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 20, part of the Great Commission, perhaps the least mentioned part of the Great Commission, but one of the most blessed parts is in John chapter 20 in verse number 21. John 20 and verse number 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. The relationship of the Father sending the Son is similar to the relationship of the church sending the missionary. Did the Father at any time abandon the Son? Other than when he turned his back on him when he was on the cross, the answer is no. No, he supported him. He answered his his prayers. He was there for him. In that same precious way, we are now sent by the Lord and also by the church. And so as the Lord is faithful to the Son, the Son is faithful to the Lord, the church is faithful to its missionary, and the missionary is faithful to its church. Back in Acts chapter 13, verse number 4 says, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost... Wait a minute. Didn't we just say the church sent them? And now it says they're being sent by the Holy Ghost. Wait a minute, which one is it? Both. Uh, He cheated. He looked at my notes. Actually, I might have stolen that from his notes originally. I don't know. But it's both, the Holy Spirit and the church. The church recognizing the call of God on them, the Spirit being the one that called. Just as much as the missionary is called to go, the church is called to send. Just as much as the missionary is called to go, the church is called to send to send. There's a relationship, a a support, because Paul and Barnabas were going to come back to Antioch, 
after their missionary journeys, at least after the two of them, they'll make their way back and they'll report and they'll tell everybody and they'll rejoice and then they'll go out again. We'll talk more about that another time. But there's a partnership there between God and the local church and the missionary. Verse 4 says, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So they started their journey, and they would go to many different cities. They would see people saved, they would see people baptized, and they would begin to disciple them and organize them into churches. We're going to pause right now and say, well, what happens when somebody is called into full-time Christian service and they go through the process called deputation, which is uh, the term that we use for how churches partner with missionaries that are called to go to the field. So I'm going to turn things over to Brother Steve, and then I'll finish up when he's done. Thank you, Pastor. As uh, Pastor Bill was sharing this this passage, uh, many memories came back to to my mind. Um, I graduated from college in 1986, yes, way back when, almost 38 years ago, in Columbus, Ohio, and I moved to Cleveland uh, to take a job with the phone company, Ohio Bell Ameritech, and I moved into Jamestown Village Apartments just right up here on Columbia Road 38 years ago. Crystal had a couple of years of college to finish up. She graduated in 1988. We got married in June of 1988, and uh, again, living up at Jamestown, And uh, we had plans on visiting many churches. We came to this church in July of 1988 when there was no air conditioning, when the pews were orange, and you would sweat through the services as Pastor Jenkins was was preaching. And uh, we had, like I said, we had plans on visiting many different churches. And it was almost as if the moment we walked in this door, the Lord said, this is where we want you to be. And so praise God, we've been here ever since. And I continued on with my my job at the phone company and thoroughly enjoyed working there. But we got involved in the ministry of this church. We wanted to to, uh, invest our lives in this church. So we started working with the youth uh, very early on. John and Sue Momros were the youth directors back then, and Chris and I started working with them. And then we eventually became youth directors as John and Sue moved on to uh, their next Coast Guard assignment in Alaska, and we got involved, and she got involved in leading the choir and playing the piano and a finance committee, and I was ordained as a, as a deacon. And um, pretty much any ministry the church had, we were involved in, and we were in our 20s. And uh, we made a commitment very early on in our marriage when the, when the doors were open at Columbia Road Baptist Church, we would be here. And uh, so we didn't have to make that decision every Sunday night or every Wednesday, whether we were coming back. It was already made. And then uh, our church really began to grow in our missions effort. Uh, Pastor Jenkins, even though when I, we first started here, Columbia Road was a Southern Baptist church, uh, was led of the Lord to move us out of that convention. But he had already started inviting missionaries in to share their ministry. I grew up and was saved in the Southern Baptist church and, in Columbus. And I never, ever one time saw a living, breathing missionary. Now, the church gave to missions. We had all kinds of different missionary offerings that we gave to on an annual basis and at different times throughout the year. But Paul Harrigan and Luke Harrigan, which will both be here in a couple weeks, were two of the missionaries that came through here. And we got to meet living, breathing missionaries. And then we started to invite more in. And we started supporting as a church more and more missionaries. And it was through missions conferences, which, again, we're going to start in about a week and a half here, that the Lord began to speak to me and challenge me. Uh, and here's a thought that, that the Lord kept 
whispering in essence to me. I didn't hear an audible voice like Pastor Bill, but it was essentially, I've got more for you to do than you're doing right now. And uh, I was confused by that because we were involved in everything, really. And But the Lord was saying, I have more for you to do. And so I didn't really know what that meant. I began to, to meet with Pastor Jenkins, and I asked that question that Bill mentioned earlier, how do you know when you're called to the ministry? And so we began talking, we began praying, we began fasting, we began asking a small group of people to pray with us, close friends, to say, this is how the Lord is working in our hearts. And we asked the Lord to confirm that calling in, uh, through our prayer and through scripture. And uh, without going into a whole lot of detail, in uh, the late winter of 1998, uh, the Lord answered that prayer and confirmed it for me in scripture. And I went, to, it was a Sunday afternoon, I was on my bed reading the Bible, I went to Chris and said, I didn't think I'd get emotional, but I said, that thing we've been praying about for months and months, God has answered my prayer. I'm ready to go in tomorrow and give my two weeks notice at the phone company and say, okay, let's, let's go. And uh, Chris said, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that God has confirmed this for you, but uh, he's not made it clear to me yet. And praise the Lord, I, I had enough wisdom at, at that young age. I was 34, 35 at the time to say, okay, because I'd been in the phone company 13 years. I said, let's, I'll back off. You keep praying, I'll keep praying. And when the Lord makes it clear to you, we'll go. And so she prayed and prayed. And that was in November of 1998. She came to me in the summer of 1999 and said, God's, God's made it clear. It's, let's go. So 23 years ago this month, October 15th, I walked out of the phone company building, 45 Year Review Plaza, having been there 13 years to start the ministry of Harvest Baptist Missions along with Pastor Jenkins. And I remember this thought, the phone company had been so good to me. I thought I would work there all of my life. People did that back then. I had people 45 years working for me at the phone company. And I walked out of that building, and everything inside of me said, just take one look back. And the Spirit of God said, don't look back. I've got something new for you. And I didn't look back. I fought that temptation, and we began the work of Harvest Baptist Missions 23 years ago this month. And uh, so I wanted to just take a few moments to talk about deputation, because many of you have heard that story. You've heard me share that in even greater detail than that. I do remember one of the things that cinched it for me. And if you're here and you've struggled with that question of how do you know when you're called, that's a great question. Pastors love to hear that question. Don't be ashamed to ask it. And uh, there are a number of questions they'll begin to ask you and even ask the church. But there was one day in particular I came to these steps right here, and I said simply this, Lord, you are my master. You own me. You died for me. You paid my sin debt. My life belongs to you. And if you want to change my orders from phone company to ministry, my answer is yes. And in that step of faith, I think the Lord took that and began to bring all the different mechanisms into place to, to confirm that calling. And so we began the, the ministry of Harvest Baptist Missions, and Chris and I set out on deputation to raise support for that ministry. And it was definitely a faith ministry. We didn't have any support when we first started. I'm, I'm talking zero 
other than the church starting to support us. And, um, but in our church, and again, some of you are newer, and, and maybe you hear terms like deputation and furlough, and we just kind of use them without really talking about, talking about in detail about them, and you may not really know what they mean. And so let's talk just briefly about deputation and what that process looks like. Uh, first off, the next slide you can see, you see a very familiar, familiar character on this. Who's that? Barney Fife. Barney Fife had what job? He was the deputy of Mayberry. And so he was entrusted with the city and county of this fictional town in North Carolina to uh, uphold the laws, to carry out consequences when, when laws were broken, and he did it in a very entertaining and very funny way. And so that, depu- that word deputy, we, we see where the word deputation comes from. To define it, the act of appointing a substitute or a representative to act for another. And so this church, as, as Pastor Bill mentioned in Acts 13, uh, they laid their hands on these two and they sent them out to help represent that church in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so we've looked at a number of verses already, the Great Commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That command, that commission was given to a local church just like ours. Our church is commissioned and commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, how do we do that when we're all sitting here in North Olmsted, Ohio? Well, we work with missionaries that uh, represent us in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And praise the Lord, this church supports 100 missionary families. And I've said often, the sun never sets on the missionary missions ministry of Columbia Baptist Church. Um, someone's always doing the work of reaching people with the gospel through our missions program. So the act of appointing a substitute or representative to act for another. So a missionary coming through on deputa- deputation, we are looking as a church who we can partner with to help us fulfill the command that God has given us. And then it really, it goes kind of both ways because not only are they going to represent us, that missionary is representing the need that exists in, in various parts of the world for, for the gospel message. So you're going to, in a week and a half, and other missionaries that have come through that you can think of, they're telling us, they're sharing their burden, they're sharing with us the reality of how things are in Japan and in Sierra Leone and in Uganda and um, Haiti and, and South Florida and all the, the, the missionaries in India that are represented uh, by our missions conference this year. And so they're sharing that heart and that burden. And so how do they do this? As we look at the next slide, what does deputation involve? It is a very challenging process. And by design, it's challenging. Um, Southern Baptist example, as I mentioned earlier, if someone is called to be a missionary within the Southern Baptist organization and they ultimately present themselves to their church and to the larger Southern Baptist Mission Board and they're approved, then they're sent out fully supported. Um, they don't have to go from church to church to raise support. And before you say, well, that sounds like a great idea, and there are certain some merits to that, but like I said earlier, I never saw a living, breathing missionary growing up in the Southern Baptist Church in Columbus, Ohio, because they didn't have to raise support. And not only that, did, did they, they don't have to learn some of the mandatory lessons that... Uh, the deputation going from church to church to church over a period of what could be a couple of years, teach them to prepare them for life on the mission field. And not only that, I can tie my, my call to the ministry directly to a missionary or missionaries that came to this church 
and shared their heart and shared a description of how God called them. Paul Deem was one of them. Paul Deem, I remember in this very pulpit, stood up and said, I, I was working for a company for 10 years. I thought I'd work there for the rest of my life. I loved that job. And then God called me to leave that to go to the Philippines to start churches. And God used that testimony to begin to penetrate my heart with that idea of I've got more for you to do than you're doing right now. So how long, what does deputation look like? How long does it take? These are some statistics that I gathered as I went through deputation. Things are always changing, evolving a little bit. So this was, it's hard to believe this is 23 years old already. But uh, having worked with missionaries through Harvest Baptist Missions, I think some of these have still ring true. But a missionary has to schedule meetings. They have to call churches. They have to contact churches. And it takes about 40 phone calls to schedule one meeting. So again, you think you're going to be making lots and lots of phone calls. Maybe today it's, it's more email. I'll talk probably more about that next week when I have a chance to share some things. But it takes a lot of phone calls to call churches to uh, finally track down a pastor and finally get a few minutes to talk about your ministry and inquire about the possibility of coming to that church, your church, to share a meeting or to share the ministry. So it takes about 40 phone calls to get one meeting. How many meetings for one supporting church? It takes about four. So you have to come to four different churches to present your work. And if you do that, one out of four will typically take you on for support. I've seen that as low as one out of two. Again, the Lord's in this. The Lord knows how long this process needs to take for each one of us as he's trying to teach us the lessons we need to learn as well as carry out the ministry he's called us to to round up more laborers through our time of deputation. So let's take, if a missionary needed $5,000 a month, which is somewhat typical, although that's getting larger and larger as inflation increases. Some missionaries we support require more than that. That's not just the money that they need to live on the foreign mission field. They're raising money to pay rent and all their personal expenses, but they're also raising money, and I've always called it like a little mini church budget. They're going to have to rent a building. They're going to have to uh, equip that building. They're going to have all these expenses associated with running their ministry. So they're raising their own personal support, and they're raising a work fund. And by the way, as most of you know, they cannot just they can't go to Japan and get join the labor force and get a job. It's just not an option for them. They're not uh, they won't have the, the visa that would permit them to do that. So it's necessary for them to have the support. So if they need five thousand dollars a month, and churches are going to support them a hundred dollars a month, like our church does today, which is still probably the higher end of what the average would be for most missionaries. They need 50 churches that will partner with them on a monthly basis in order to get them to the field. So if you start doing the math on that, how many meetings will you need to schedule? They need to schedule about 200. So have to present their work 200 times in, in churches that will eventually take them on. Again, if you do the math, at best, using that scenario, I say two years for deputation. That means fully booked every Sunday morning or every Sunday evening, every Wednesday evening, every week for two years. That's hard to do. That's very hard to do. And you can, you can see all kinds of opportunities for discouragement in this process as well. Uh, have you ever tried to find a job? Boy, I remember this, and it was so difficult coming out of college. I thought everyone would want to hire me, and everyone said no. I mean, over and over, and I, I had, that's probably one of the most depressed times I've ever been in my entire life. And uh, so when Ohio Bell said yes, I was kind of blown away. But uh, there's so many opportunities for discouragement because you're told no over and over and over again. And uh, so, again, you can even do in the math how many phone calls, about 
8,000 phone calls to schedule those 200 meetings. So that's what happens when a missionary comes here on deputation. They are raising their support financially. They're raising prayer support. They're raising partners. Even those that may not financially support them, uh, we still pray for missionaries. We try to be an encouragement. So here's a thought. How can I be a blessing to our missionaries? Now, this is fresh. This, this came up uh, just an organization I follow today, a missions organization, and they posted this this morning. And this is one of their missionaries on furlough. So a missionary on furlough has raised their support. They've gone and ministered on the field for a number of years, and now they're coming back to report to their churches. And we've seen a number of missionaries recently in our church on furlough sharing what the Lord's doing. So it says, during the first eight weeks in the United States, we have had the opportunity to, ha- to give ministry updates in 11 churches. God has specifically used many of you to encourage our hearts with your words, with your questions about our work, and your sincere friendship. And so my challenge to you is to be an encouragement to these missionaries, to let them know how much you care about them, how excited you are about the work that they're doing, and to encourage them to keep at it, not to give up. Um, Engage them when they visit our church. Be the one, is what I said. Imagine if every one of us asked a question Or maybe you feel uncomfortable going to a missionary and I don't know what to say to them. Well, just go up and say, hey, I am so thankful that you're doing what God called you to do. And I'm going to pray for you. That will be just that one single act will be such an encouragement and a help to them. Because you can guarantee the enemy is attacking them through this process. Their car is breaking down. uh, There's discouraging things that are said to them. And just be the one. And our church does a great job at this. I just want to encourage you to keep doing that. Look for ways to be a blessing to the missionary kids. Many of them have, and it's not unusual for us to find a missionary kid at a missions conference who has been in a service, a church service, for 15, 16, 17 days in a row. And imagine trying to raise your kids through that and having them always behave and and do well. So be kind. Be a blessing to the missionary kids. Pray for the missionaries. Read their prayer letters. Take time to look through the letters that that are on the wall out there. And praise the Lord for folks like Sandy who takes those letters and boils the specific requests down, and we put them in our prayer sheet each week. Again, pray for these. That's such an encouragement. Send them cards, emails to encourage them. Remember their birthdays, their anniversaries. So be an encouragement. Make a decision now that when our conference takes place here in a week and a half, I'm personally going to be an encouragement to each one of these missionaries. Now let me leave you with one thought as I give it back to Pastor Bill. I love what Brother Randy and Sister Kelly are doing with this fine $5 idea. Let me give you just a little bit of perspective on what what that could do for our missions program. Now, our ushers take attendance. They count the number of heads in our, our church every service. And I would say on a Sunday morning, we're, we're averaging right now about a 125, 150, 175. There's a lot of fluctuation there. If 100 people took that challenge to, to give $5 more per week, think about this. Cut out one of these things. If, if 100 people, there's more than 100 people in this building right now. If 100 people did that, that would increase our missions giving $500 a week. Now, do the math on this as well. For the year, that would increase our missions budget by $26,000. That would enable us as a church to take on 21 new missionary families at $100 a month. Again, $5 seems so insignificant, but it's so powerful. Think about it. So, So take seriously this idea 
How can I be involved in our world missions program? We want our program, our program to grow. We are not satisfied with 100 families. We want more. We need more to be out there helping us to fulfill our command. We need to deputize more missionaries to represent the needs of Columbia Road Baptist Church around this world. $5 can go a long way. Amen? Thank you, Pastor Bill. A couple of points of application. <clears throat> Thank you, Pastor Steve. So first of all, serve the Lord right now. Serve the Lord right now. Don't wait. Paul and Barnabas, as well as Niger and as well as Menaean, they, they, were, they were already busy doing what God had for them to do. You say, what does that look like? <clears throat> well, develop a devotional life. Pray. Read your Bible. Become consistent with the time you spend with the Lord. I want you to know you will never have a less busy season of life until you probably hit retirement. But then those that I know that are retired, they tell me, no, it's still just as busy, if not more. So probably you will never have a less busy time. I know a lot of people put off in their mind, well, I'm going to start this when the kids are older. I'm going to start this once we get married or once I'm out of school or once this, 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 and you keep putting, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen if you're waiting for a better time. You have to just choose to serve the Lord right now. Attend every church meeting that you can. Make your home a place that honors the Lord. Understand your gift that God has given you. By the way, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, if you know God, then you've been gifted in his service. You may not know what that gift is yet, but he has promised that he has gifted you. And not only has he gifted you, but he's created a need in this church so that everybody needs to be in their place doing what they were made to do, all fitly framed, all joined together as many members of one body. Be a witness now. Serve the Lord right now like these men were busy about doing. Second of all, ask God if he'd have you to be a missionary. Ask God, specifically, every one of you. You say, I'm scared what he might say. I'm scared that you'll live your entire life and get to the end of it and regret that you did the wrong thing with your life. Because this is the time that we have to prepare for eternity. I'm perhaps not talking about your eternal destination. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, then the discussion of heaven or hell is settled for you. If your sins have been forgiven, if you have eternal life, it never ends. You're going to be with God forever in heaven. But I would hate for you to step into eternity and in that one moment know, I should have asked the question, God had something more for me. God had something else for me. So ask the question. There's nothing I think that's more sad than someone succeeding at the wrong thing in life. So ask the Lord, would you have me to be a missionary? Be spiritually aware. They were ministering to the Lord and they were fasting. They were people of spiritual character. And so when the Spirit of God was calling them, they were able to hear it. You ever been to a church service where everyone raved about how great the church service was and you thought, eh, wasn't that good? And everyone's like, God really spoke to me. God really spoke to me. And you're sitting here like, what? I didn't get a whole lot out of it. It just seemed like another church service. Actually, he went a little bit long. We almost missed our reservations at Olive Garden. Well, perhaps the reason that everyone else got stuff out of it is they were spiritually prepared to hear from God. And at other times, we were not. 
Be surrendered to whatever God calls you to do. It is no mistake that the very first thing after praising the Lord that Jesus teaches when it comes to prayer is surrender. He says, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know what you're saying? You're saying to God, Lord, it's your kingdom, not mine. It's your will, not mine. I'm not building anything for me. I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what you would have me to do. And you're aligning your will with what God wants. And so ask him, seriously, ask him. Encourage your children to ask themselves, does God want me in full-time Christian service? Lastly, pray and give to send missionaries. Like that church in Antioch put their hands upon Paul and Barnabas and sent them out. There was a relationship there. Paul and Barnabas were called to go. The church in Antioch was called to send. And this relationship is like the father and the son. And so we pray for our missionaries. I would encourage you to pray for them. Uh, I know that our missionaries that we support financially are, are thankful when they get that support check. But I know that there are so many things that missionaries deal with on the field that could never be overcome with any amount of money, let alone the $100 a month that we send them. So what does move the hand of God? What overcomes the obstacles? What gives them hope when they're struggling? What takes those that are against them and casts down those, those evil imaginations, those thoughts against them to destroy the work of God? What does that? The hand of God moving because we've prayed for them. And so pray for our missionaries. Give to support our missions program. If you're not giving right now, I want you to know that when you give, this is not part of your tithe. This is over and above your tithe. Uh, consider giving $5 if, if you're not started. Children, you can do this as well. Young people, teenagers, you can do this as well. You say, well, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until the economy gets better. I'm going to wait until gas prices go down. I'm, I'm going to wait until I've paid off some of these bills. I'm going to wait until, I'm going to wait until, I think you should ask the Lord what you ought to do. I think you should ask the Lord what you ought to do, and then you ought to do it. And if he says do it, do it. If he says wait, wait. But I think you ought to seriously consider because I think that the vast majority of us, now some of us, we have our budget really, really tight, but some of us could find that $5 a week rather easily. And so either start giving or increase your giving. And you know what? If you do more than $5, I think we'll forgive them. I think that'll work too. And I think the Lord would be pleased with it. If you stopped, and I can say that our missionary giving dropped during COVID, uh, if you stopped giving for various reasons, this is the opportunity to restart. And you say, well, I forget. Are any of you forgetful people? Are any of you forgetful people? We ran out of, of stirrers for the coffee out front couldn't figure out where they were. And I'm like, I'll go to the kitchen and get some. And I walk into the kitchen and I open the refrigerator. I'm sitting there staring at it. Heather Crabtree walks in and all of a sudden my mind jumps. I'm like, oh, this isn't what I'm here for. And so I move on to the closet. It, perhaps, perhaps you do that from time to time and forget why you're in these certain places. I want you to know with just three taps of your thumb, you can set it up so that your mission giving happens every Sunday morning without you forgetting. You can pull out your phone, you can do it right on there, and you say, I want to make sure that I don't forget to obey the Lord in this, and it will automatically, in a recurring way, take that $5 out and process it, or whatever amount you give. So there's many tools for it. So serve the Lord right now, ask God if he'd have you to be a missionary, pray and give to send missionaries.
I want you to know that God's work is seeing people evangelized, baptized, discipled, and churches established. If you don't know Christ as Savior, that's what the evangelized part is. If you're here, perchance, and, and you're not sure that heaven is your home, that God is your Father, if you have never made the decision to ask Jesus to forgive your sins and be your Savior, believing that he died for you and rose from the grave, today is the day to get that settled. If you're watching or listening online, today is the day to get that settled. That's what all of this is about, is glorifying God through seeing people saved and disciples being made. And there's nothing that would rejoice God's heart, all of heaven, and this church more than seeing somebody to get right with the Lord. And so, if, if you would, please, would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment? It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. In our church, we have what we call a time of invitation where we invite you in your own heart and mind to act, to act. This isn't just a teaching time, this is a sermon. A sermon has an application. An application asks you, asks you to act. And I don't know what the Lord is speaking to you about this morning, but maybe he's, he's calling you to get your salvation settled. Maybe you don't know for sure that when you die and you leave this earth that you'll wind up with God in heaven. You can have that assurance today. You can know without a shadow of a doubt. It's as simple as praying and asking the Lord to forgive your sins and be your Savior. I'll be standing down here at the head of this aisle in just a moment. And when people are standing and singing and praying here in just a moment, you're welcome to, to slip out of your seat and just say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. And someone will take you aside privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and show you from the Bible how you can know that your sins are forgiven. But I think perhaps for many of us here, the Lord is speaking to us about his work globally around this world. Maybe God is calling some of you or has called some of you to missions and perhaps you've, you've let that go. Maybe it's not missions but in full-time Christian service and, and you haven't acted on what it is. I want you to know that the Lord's calling is without repentance. It's a wonderful thing. There, there's no room for retreat in it. It's a wonderful thing. Renew that this morning. Say, yes, Lord, surrender to him. If you've never asked the question, Lord, should I be a missionary? Ask him. You say, I'm too old to be a missionary. My friend was an accomplished heart surgeon, had founded a hospital, and at age 52, he and his wife were called as missionaries to Suriname. So, so don't think that, that you've hit some expiration date. No, no, if you're here and you have life, the Lord could be dealing with you about it. Maybe God is speaking to you about investing in this great opportunity, this great investment in eternity of seeing souls saved and taking a part, changing your budget, changing your ways, praying in the money so that you can give. Whatever it is that the Lord is speaking to you about, would you say yes to him this morning? If you need to, as we stand and sing in just a moment, this altar is open as a place of prayer. If you're unable to make it right there in your seat, but say yes to the Lord. Father, we give your word, the preaching of it, the responding of it to you in the work of your spirit. May you guide and help and draw in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.